This is the Cover to Cover podcast, informative and enlightening conversation best paired with the Cover to Cover four-year Bible reading schedule. For more information about Cover to Cover, to sign up for text or email devotions, or to simply just read the Bible along with us, go to covertocoverfc.org. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 26 of Cover to Cover. And if you're following along in the plan, after you hear this, you'll be reading Numbers chapters 29 through 36, which will finish the book. And then you'll read Psalms 42 through 45. My name is Andy Schultz. I am the online ministry director at Faith Church. And today I'm joined by the pastoral theologian of Faith Church and pastor of Faith Speecher, Illinois location, Dr. Brian Dennert. Brian, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. So good to have you. Uh, Tabitha, a little under the weather. So, you know, it's the season we're recording this in the winter and that everything, every week, I feel like I'm, I'm seeing people go down yeah. all over the place. So it'll just be the two of us today. So you can send us your hate mail. Um, the, the ratings will once again go way down. Absolutely. We, way down. Yeah. Way, way down. Totally. You are correct. Well, it's good to have you here. Are you feeling okay? I mean, I feel a little bit like I've been wandering in the wilderness for, you know, 40 <laughs> hours or something. It's been kind of a crazy, so, crazy week. So appropriate yeah. because we will talk a little bit about the wandering people known as Israel as well. Well, last time around, uh, we spent some time looking at significant connections between the book of Numbers and some portions of the New Testament. We dove a little more deeply into the saga of the Midianite prophet Balaam and a talking donkey. That's all in episode 25. Uh, by the way, also some good movie references in that, that episode. That was probably our most pop culture reference yes. uh, episode. That even we knew a little bit of pop culture, even if it was 15 years old. <laughs> yeah. And today, a focus on the ending portions of the book of Numbers, which you'll encounter in your reading, starting with the events surrounding an armed conflict, a war with Midian, which is detailed in Numbers chapter 31. So, Brian, we're going to read that chapter 31 in this next section of reading as we zoom out a little, sort of what is the overarching significance of this narrative? This is a big battle. Yeah, I mean, and, and that narrative comes in the the middle of a context of this, this section, really from Numbers 26 to 36, is preparing this next generation to, to enter the land. So there's going to be lots of different um, elements in terms of preparing for this, but one of the things they take care of on the way to going into the land is this this battle with this um, foreign nation that we've encountered already in the book of Numbers. This is not a, a new entity. It's one we've seen before. And and this is a um, this is going to be a battle that's going to end in kind of an ugly way. And this is going to be like, I mean, just a massive win for Israel at the great expense to the Midianites. And they are going to spare almost nobody. We see in verse uh, four, 15, uh, have you let all the women live? Behold, these on Balaam's advice caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. So that's sort of what led to this. And as a result, they're going to kill all the men, all the women that have been with men. I'll just mm, leave it at that. Yep. And and really what's left is not much. Yeah. And, and so that seems very harsh for one thing. You're like, what's going on here? It's this complete annihilation really of the nation and something I want to make sure you know is like there's been other battles in the book of Numbers, and we'll see other battles going forward. And typically that's not what happens. When they battled other nations, they weren't destroying all the uh, the whole the whole whole people as well as this, yeah, this focus on on the women there, but it all recalls back to what what happened back in Numbers 25. That's mm-hmm. what was re- recalling the the women who were seducing the men and of Israel drawing them into not just simply adultery, but idolatry. And so it's kind of 
God's judgment falling upon that nation. And if we put this all back in the context of Balaam, Balaam's prophecy, Balaam could not curse the people of Israel because they've been blessed. And those who bless them will be blessed. Those who curse them will be cursed. Well, what were the Midianites doing? They were effectively cursing Mm. the people of Israel. And so as they have cursed the people of Israel, now they are being judged. But this is not... Uh, this is not prescriptive for any current nation or any yes. other nation to fight. This was tied to a, a picture of God's judgment upon the nation mm-hmm. that had attacked, had really attacked and tried to take his people away from him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's judgment in that entity. Um, that, that that brings up a good a good question, a good point because um, you know we read an ep- of an episode earlier in, in Numbers. You know, Phineas, the the I think the grandson of Aaron, correct? Um, I think son of Eleazar. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to yeah, turning my family he, tree in the head. No, that's all right. Either way, so Phineas, um, you know, is who's reckoned righteous. We read in in Psalms, is 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 given that righteous status because he goes and single handedly, you know, kills a couple, you know, through the, with the sword that is intermixing from tribe to tribe, and in doing so, looks like a hero here in this story. But today we don't. Ask here, where where are the sinners? Bring the sinners up to the front and let's kill them by the sword. So what am I to read now in a New Testament context? How do I sort of reconcile the Old Testament God's version of purity now versus today? Has basically is the slaughter of Jesus sort of satisfied that bloodlust? I mean, I not bloodlust, yeah. but you know what I'm saying. Like we don't handle things this way. Yeah, I mean I think so also is you have to think through the context the ancient year in context. So they're wandering the wilderness. So, okay, so you're causing us to sin. Go wander in the wilderness. You know, that's basically a death sentence in of itself. Mm-hmm. So there is that sense of the ancient Near East, of their both their culture there. And, and even when, when Israel's destroying these nations and killing these people, it's not it's actually not as bad as some other nations are, are doing at times. So I think there is an element of God works in time and space. So some of it is tied to that. But then also, yeah, you see in the New Testament when they're sinning in a community, out really outside of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts five, when God strikes them down, right. it's in First Corinthians five. This man is is having an improper relationship with apparently his stepmother. It's not take a take a, a spear and you know take care of him that way. It's cast him out of the community mm-hmm. in hopes that he will return. Uh, and so that is the element of now it's there's a different sort of separation. It's not death, but yeah, I think some of it is tied to this new moment in salvation history. It's a restoration, which yeah. is sort of the greater, I guess, the overarching narrative of Scripture, yeah. right, as we kind of look into it. So there's something different here in Numbers 31 than the last time they've dealt with the Midianites. Numbers 21, where there's a defeat and take the land, um, or at least, you know, in that particular battle— um, but this is totally different. This is a complete annihilation, desolation, um, taking the taking the treasures uh, here from you know here in, in Numbers thirty one. So this is this is this is a big deal. Basically, this is completely different. Well, it's, it's part to tell you there's different things going on. So back in Numbers twenty and twenty one, you have you know the people of Israel to go through. They want to go through Edom, and Edom says no, you can't go through us. So they they wander around, but there's not. They're kind of opposed, but they don't get attacked. And then there are numbers twenty-one. You do see attacks by the Amorites, and then when there's attacks, there's there's those those elements. Whereas here, it's not simply that the Midianites attacked the Israelites; is that they really attacked the Israelites' God mm. to a certain degree. So that's again why there's different elements. But again, Israel's not going after nations trying to destroy them when they're outside of Canaan. 
And all of this is taking place outside of the promised land. Again, they've not gone in to the Canaanites, and we'll, we will see something similar at times in different nations, in, in Joshua, for example, but this is, they call these the, the Transjordan territory, it's the, the other side of the promised land. Mm-hmm. And they're getting ready, kind of gaining that foothold to get ready to go into the land. Is this, I, I'm just, I, as I read this, I'm always trying to picture what it would be like to be Moses with his ties to the Midianites. Mm. Um, obviously his uh, his wife, his father, you know, we, we, read, mm. we read family connections and then here you go, it's okay, now go and destroy mm. everything here. Like mm. what that must have felt like yeah. for him. Well, and then even Moses is, they, they, the people didn't, and then Moses is angry with them. Yes. And yes. so he, it's actually, he's the one that is more committed to it than those who maybe don't have that connection. Yeah. Now, of course, this is also on the other side of Moses' disobedience. We talked about last time, and was it, you know, is he taking more seriously? God told us to do this. Mm-hmm. We need to follow it to a T, because last time I didn't follow it to a T. I took it matters into my own hands at the rock. And, and you know, whether it was striking it or the way he spoke about it, but either way, he did not follow God. And now he wants to make sure his people are following God. Sure. And then then there's some details about the killing we talked about just a moment ago, right? They kill uh, verses 7 and 8 of chapter 31. They kill every male and the kings, females. We talked about a moment ago, they plundered. But then we get this note in 31 verse 8 about them killing Balaam now, who is sort of the central character in our conversation last time. And now that's significant as well. I mean, I think it's, it's that reminder of this, yeah, this Balaam still around, that connection that Balaam had on these people. And, and as I believe I've noted last time, there's Numbers 24 and 25. While Balaam doesn't appear in Numbers 25, you see the, this reference to other spots shows he's connected with the people who were leading people astray. And there's traditions that he was the one that kind of almost gave them that advice. Well, if you can't curse him, you might as well distract him right. uh, or, or, you know, again, seduce them. Um, and, uh, away, and that will weaken the people. We, if we can't get them because they're connected to their God, if we can draw them away from their God, that will draw them away from the blessings that God has for them. Sure, sure. Well, this is a really fascinating battle. We're almost there now, right? This is you're getting the sense that this is going to be one of the big episodes leading right up to uh, the Promised Land. But um, you know, good insight, and there's definitely something different here about the battle in Numbers 31 versus the others. So I appreciate this conversation. Yeah, it's been it's been good to kind of again, as, to think through the differences. I think that's that sometimes people say, well, God's always call, causing the slaughter of all these nations in the Old Testament. It's not it's not every time. So to yeah. pay attention and, and see that, and then when there are differences, to ask the question, why mm. why is this different? Note the difference. And then say, so what? Why is this different? And what might that tell us? Absolutely. Well, that's good. Well, there's definitely an intensity in these closing moments in Israel's journey through the wilderness. And you can feel the end of the road coming, which is leading to the promised land, of course. So when we come back, we're going to give some closing thoughts on the book of Numbers. And that's next. It's been quite a journey for Israel in the wilderness, and there are a lot of, I guess, uh, less Hollywood events, especially compared to the battle with Midian here at the end of the book, that offer some insight into God's movement through his people. You'll close up the book of Numbers in this period of reading, and so we wanted to give some closing thoughts on our reading to help as you work through it too. So um, how about, Brian, as you've been reading it through, I know you've probably read through this a number of times in your studies over the years, what is... What is hitting you this time around? Yeah, I think, you know, reading through it once again, just once being struck by the the unfaithfulness and the disbelief of God's people and the the fact they didn't go into the land. The reason you have this whole wandering is 
is they didn't believe God was able to do what God had said he would do. They, they look at the land and say, these people are big. I mean, they, they see the blessings. They say this, this land is fruitful. It is mm. abounding with milk and honey, but there's really big people there, and we think they're bigger than our God. And it's that, once again, was being just struck by how easy it is to still think that way, that there's those giants there's those giants in the land that are stronger than God. So I was just recognizing once again how similar uh, I am and, and we continue to be as God's people of the, the nation of Israel um, here in, in, the, in the Old Testament. But then on the other side of it, I was struck as I was wrapping up of how the, the book actually ends with this note of obedience. Mm. So you have, it's, it's really interesting because they're getting ready to go in the promised land and you know this whole generation has died. So what we encounter in Numbers 27 and 36 is uh, Zelophad. Um, he has five daughters. I think I'm saying his name right. If I'll stay with confidence, Zelophad, and then we'll. If it's wrong, just correct me later on. Um, you know, he has five daughters, or he has five. Yeah, he has five daughters. So there's, there's no, there's he dies. There's no sons. And that's that's an issue in the next generation. Mm-hmm. And they they say no, they can inherit the land, and they're trying to figure out how you keep it in the land. And ultimately, at the end of it, Numbers 36, there's this provision saying, well, you can basically only marry men in your tribe. So if you're, uh, I forget which tribe they're from, but say, you know, if you're from the tribe of uh, Benjamin, you're going to marry other Benjaminites, not Gadites, because then the, the land would transfer. And they're okay with it. Mm. They accept it. And I was struck by, they're obedient. They accept God's boundaries and markers. Yeah. If you think back to number 16 and 17, for example, Korah and, and, uh, and the rebellions there, it's like, who made you? Like, they, they don't want to respect God's order. So there is... Mm. growth or a shift or this book that has so much death and destruction of a whole generation ends with a glimmer of hope that you are in the land. And even in the midst of the, the things being struck by God's continues to have this plan is has, and even has a plan for when these situations emerge, when, how do you get the property? Like he's working in the details of code, but their, their obedience was, was something I noted. I did some research and it was struck, struck me in this book. No, that's a good point. Um, so that's interesting. You know, I'm reading the same, the same content and I'm thinking like, Oh man, like why, why are these details so important about who can own land and who inherits land? And, and I understand why it's written down. It's obviously for the order of the people, but you're, you're seeing a much greater significance in that. There's an obedience in it. Um, we've also been doing some estate planning in my family as well recently, which is which is fascinating because I'm reading these these rules for who mm. gets what essentially, and if there's no this, and then what happens, and um, and then I'm doing the exact same thing, you know, mm. detailing it for my children. They don't get a choice. They are, you know, this is how it's going to go. Um, if your parents are pass, you know, unfortunately, and um, that that's determined by us. Mm. And so it's just interesting to see that now, thousands of years beforehand, yeah. um, and how it was handled. So that's that's good um, yeah. because there is something important to be found in and that's i think what i would say is my takeaway is what i previously thought was insignificant i'm, I'm not saying anything from god's word no. is insignificant but more what feels like a throwaway mm. has more significance than i was willing to really accept before i read it this time around and so for me it's it's really zeroing in on the significance of the fact that this ragtag group of people delivered from slavery endured insane things, you know, through, through, you couldn't write a script better Mm. than really, you know, the whole of the Pentateuch, honestly, but, um, but really specifically some of the events here in numbers, you know, the ground opening up and the plagues and the, um, the fire and, and just the Lord, uh, as he has guided them and they're still complaining and they're still Mm. complaining and they're still complaining. And I just think the odds that these people beat, Mm. 
when everything was stacked against them and they still lack faith. And I just am constantly reminded, number one, we have an origin to an amazing story. Even when our life seems insignificant and unspectacular, we have this amazing lineage that we're a part of um, through Christ now. But then also how quickly I am to turn away from that and go, Mm -hmm. God has been writing this story. How many times do I want to serve myself Mm -hmm. versus serving the God of the universe who is crafted this incredible narrative i'm just every time i think about complaining i it shuts me down Mm. and i think no i haven't earned anything i don't deserve anything there's nothing in this world that will replace how good god has been to his people so i really have appreciated that Tamara. yeah and and even all the uh the continual discussion of the property it's like because god needs to be faithful like Mm -hmm. he's when he's saying this you're gonna divide the lane he's saying and you will have the land yeah. in spite of your faithful faithlessness. Yes, yes. Yeah, my promise is that strong. Yeah. And uh, hopefully that like when we when we're those knuckleheads as well. Yeah. God's God's promise is stronger. There are a couple things just to note here at the end. Just wanted to kind of put a bow on, but maybe get some thoughts if there's more significance to it. You're gonna you're gonna read in chapter 29 that there are there are details for the feasts. You'll I'll let you read that. Um, that there's specificity to the handling of vows and depending on who gives a vow and what should be honored. That's in chapter 30. Uh, You'll actually see the geographical borders for the promised land kind of laid out in chapter 34. Uh, There's a note in here designating space for the Levites uh, in chapter 35. Again, sort of separate from Israel, they're going to get their own towns, but I think still within the promised land, correct? Yeah, Yeah, they, they don't have their own, the Levites don't have a territory they have towns in the other territories because yes. they're dispersed among the people yes. as the servants of God. Okay, good. And that'll be, I'm sure, significant later. We're going to see um, throughout the Old Testament narrative. The one that really had me scratching my head was this uh, this part of the narrative in chapter 32, where the tribes of Reuben and Gad uh, want to settle in Gilead. And specifically, it says, chapter 32, verse 1, that they had a lot of livestock Mm -hmm. and they saw land where we could have all of our Mm -hmm. livestock, but it wasn't yet into the promised land yet. And so they say, we think we're going to settle here. Mm -hmm. Two of the tribes say, no, we're good here. We're not going all the way. Um, Verse six, but Moses said to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben, shall your brothers go to the war while you sit here, right? You're not going to help us. He's saying, Mm -hmm. "If, if we go to war, if you're stuck here. And then Moses continues on, why will you... Uh, why, will you, why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? So basically, Moses is saying, you're still doubting that we're going to get this promised land. And this is, by the way, after the battle with Midian. <laughs> when they went in, I don't know if you know, no Israelite died in that battle. They destroyed wow. the other nation, wow. and no Israelite dies in contrast to other times when they take them out of their own hands. So yeah, they've seen God at hand, like almost like... You think those giants are in the way? I can take, I can preserve you in, against yeah. the Midianites. Amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's going to set up. We'll, we'll see that play itself out in in the con- conquest. They'll go in, they will conquer with them, and then they will go back, and they actually have, you know, they're outside the land, but it's kind of this overflow. Hmm. Again, these are the Transjordan tribes, but once again, you see the danger they could break apart, but they stay together. Mm-hmm. So, is there? I was going to say, is that going to come into play later? Is that foreshadowing some further events, like? in Joshua, or is it foreshadowing something even into like the first century that would be in, that would be interesting about the, their location? Um, yeah, I have to go back. I mean, the biggest thing I'm thinking about is, yeah, we'll see this play out in, in Joshua, even this question on, are, will they forget their connection? Are they two different people and, mm-hmm. and have, make sure they have, um, 
they remember the promises and that they remember the God. Okay. So you will see that. Yeah, you'll see that come back. Good. Thanks. Put you on the spot there. Appreciate that. (laughs) Good. Well, I hope your reading of the book of Numbers has been as life-giving as it has been for me. I mean, I get the wandering. I get the complaining. I get the confusion. I get the need for purity. It, It preaches to my life, and I hope it does to yours as well. When we come back, a connection between the book of Numbers and a specific set of Psalms. That's a tease. That's coming up next. In this period of reading, you'll be directed back to the book of Psalms. We'll be picking up where we left off, which is with Psalm 42, the beginning of what is referred to as book two. More on that in a moment. Usually when we kick off a new book, we take time to give some relevant background information before you start. We're going to do a little of that, but you can also get a refresher from our intro to Psalms. That's on episode 17, if you want to go back and listen to it. Okay, so we've wrapped up our reading of the book of Numbers, and then, Brian, as I'm getting started reading book two of the Psalms, I see a familiar name that we just read about in Numbers. Psalm 42 is credited to, drumroll here, the sons of Korah, right? So, Brian, you're telling me that the descendants of a famous rebel are now writing poetry of praise to God. Yeah, that's what seems to be going on here. Wow, yeah, that is really interesting. So, Korah's reputation as as of being a rebel and is eliminated by the ground opening up back in you know in numbers and now we see the great 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 whatever grandchildren mm-hmm. that have now contributed to the hymnal essentially of praise uh what's up with that why would you even want to identify with Corey anymore <laughs> at that point or maybe there's also uh, an element of the the shift and the change mm-hmm. uh, i mean god has a way of if we think of new testament obviously who writes most of the new testament is paul who was once a persecutor of the church. Yes. We think back, you know, Moses kind of tried to deliver Israel by himself and be a self-deliverer and then gets cast out. Abraham, tradition shows us he's probably worshiping all these other gods. And then God calls him to be the God, that the one that God's going to work through. So God has a way of, of working and redeeming and maybe that reminder of getting what's, your story, your past isn't to define you. In fact, your past can inform you and, and you can tap into that. But uh, it is an interesting element of these sons of Korah, because th- there's a note back in Numbers saying that the lion of Korah didn't die out. Mm. You know, so it wasn't the whole, it, again, the, the sins of the father aren't being passed on if, if there's change. Sure. But even to identify that way is so fascinating, <laughs> right? I mean, how many more in the lineage could they have identified yeah. with, but to go back to Korah? Just fascinating yeah. to me. Um, but yeah, and so this is the first of a handful of Psalms. I think he's, I think 42, uh, I think he wrote 49 through 50, right? And then uh, 44 through 50, pardon those are all marked as sons of Korah. And so did, is this intentional? Did we jump here from numbers on purpose? Or was, did we just it, fall into something brilliant? Um, isn't most things brilliance <laughs> just happens? You know, you I'm, always know. I'm I say this because you help craft the order of the four-year Bible reading schedule. Yeah, I I, uh, I do not recall any intention on my part. Uh, th- there was there was a Bible reading plan before me that I think might have the same connection. So okay. maybe the predecessors... Uh, but we're definitely keeping it now because this is just too too it's good. It's too good, too, too good to go from the events of Korah to the sons of Korah. Okay, great. Well, that being said, um, we're, we've got a few psalms you're going to cover here in this section of reading. Um, four of them, in fact. But Psalm 42 is one that I think is pretty common. If you went to a church in the 90s uh, and you sang contemporary songs, you may have sung sung a song that said, "As the deer." 
pants for the the water so my soul and i remember singing this song you know in the early to mid 90s or mid late 90s the best if you sing that song in like on a retreat mm-hmm. and they have like a deer head oh wow hanging on the i, I know someone that had the experience that that really <laughs> changed the feeling of the song it has the deer that hangs. this is what will happen to you <laughs> if you don't if you don't you know you need that water sure but certainly a, a big one i you know the esv says this often um, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And that's repeated over and over and over again. Actually, the end of Psalm 42 says that, and so does the end of Psalm 43. So there's even a connection now between these two psalms. Yeah, and many actually think that the Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are really one psalm together. You don't see... So Psalm 42 says, Sons of Korah. Psalm 43 says it doesn't have any what they call superscription, nothing mm. above that. But then Psalm 44, we're back to the Psalm, Sons of Korah. So... There is a sense, or there's definitely a common refrain, or at least that's why they're probably joined together for sure. And it's um, Martin Lloyd Jones was a preacher in in England in the, the 20th century, and he he wrote a book on what he called spiritual depression, and he went back to Psalm 42 a lot and said, you know, often our problem is we're letting our souls talk to us instead of us talking back to our souls, and that we're listening to ourselves instead of having instead of listening um, instead of listening to these these thoughts. So I've been saying. Why are you so downcast? You're talking to yourself. What, my soul? Why are you so downcast? We need to talk back to ourselves and then lift lift out. And I love that that imagery in the psalm mm. uh, that he says, "If um, so yeah, say self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. This is what's true. Put your hope in God." Yeah, and then that's that's kind of a, I think an overarching theme of like a lot of the psalms that we see in this second book. We'll come in a little bit to you know, uh, mighty fortress is our God comes from uh, Psalm mm-hmm. forty six and a lot of other ones that look at trusting the Lord in the midst of of trials. Yeah, hope in God for I shall again praise Him. What if I don't want to? Then I don't feel like it. Then I mean that's that's what I I, I used to think. I think reading these, but the more I read the more I read the Psalms, the more I realize that they are the words that I'm really truly mm-hmm. thinking. You know, just maybe in language that I'm not going to use, especially yeah. if I'm reading the ESV, but. Um, but I, I, I'm just am really appreciating reading these Psalms over again, yeah. um, in my life because I'm starting to realize that the way I truly feel can best be spoken sometimes through these words. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, we say that the Psalm book, it, it's our, it's the prayer book as well as mm-hmm. the people and God put that in there. He put the, the challenges because he uses those to speak to us, to, uh, to say that understanding our circumstances and then, and then ministering to us in those. Um, I did want to ask you one thing, uh, just a little bit of a note. Uh, when you read the subscript on on 42 to the choir master, it says a maskil <laughs> of the sons of Korah. Uh, and then a little bit later in this section, we're going to see, so maskil, M-A-S-K-I-L. Mm-hmm. We don't really know a lot about that, but then later you see Miktam and Mizmore uh, replaced in this particular spot. So or do we just generally historically have an idea? Do we know what these are? stylistically maybe is this some some sort of music marking is that kind of what we're i mean you know is this the the slow ballad versus the yeah. uh, the up, up song? yeah we i i've i've looked a little bit too but i i think it's one of those things that we just know it's it's some sort of marker mm-hmm. what is notable in this section is you do see them kind of grouped together oh okay so when you see um, you know i said mictum you know or masculine like the maskils are together the mictum, so there's some sort of connection but that's that reminder of and the Bible's for us, but it wasn't always to us, or we don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have been looking to you as the as a you know musician. Sure. If you had known that, or like, you know, yeah, I don't. I, I wasn't. We don't have any maskills in mask our, current, uh, no. our current set of songs. Okay, we'll, 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 we can start working on those. I like uh, verse four. Or excuse me, Psalm forty-five says, "A maskil of the sons of Korah, a love song in the ESV." <laughs> yeah. So, 
Um, good. According to Lily's, uh, it's good. I, I'm really appreciating this. I, one thing I wanted to bring out, uh, in Psalm 44, which you're going to read here in this section is just, uh, it's, it's almost a theological point, you know, going all the way back to even, you know, we had this conversation all the way back in Exodus about Pharaoh and his hardened heart and what sort of what details God is in on different sides. And then we see the, the psalmist here in Psalm 44, verse two says, you drove out the nations to God. And then also in 44, verse two, but them you planted, right? The nations, you, you drove them out, but also you put them here, which is interesting um, to be driven out. Then it continues on 44 verse two, you afflicted the people Then the next set or the next phrase, but them you set free, right? They were afflicted to be set free. Uh, verse three, then for not by their own sword, did they win the land? And so just not, this is not necessarily making a strong theological statement. It's poetry, uh, but it is an interesting thing to think about. And it could help shape what we believe about God that you gave us so you put something in front of us to conquer, and then you did the conquering, and therefore we praise you because we saw what you have done. Yeah, and then just that reminder too that the Psalms will constantly referring back to the Exodus. Mm-hmm. That like again, what are they talk about you 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 cast or the, the conquest here, and 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 then also a little bit of the exile of God sending His people out. We see that as well in Psalm forty four, which is a little interesting. Yeah. So when is the Psalm dated? Is it after the ex? Is it after God's people get cast out? But it is somewhat fitting for us to read these Psalms after we've read. Exodus and Numbers, so some of the the things they will recount are the things we've we've just read and been reminded of, in the same way that the people of Israel were constantly looking back to the Exodus of God's deliverance. So you look at our songs today, and we're constantly looking back to the cross mm. because the cross is our Exodus. Actually, Jesus refers to it. You know, in Luke nine, he talks about he's talking about his Exodus, his his departure. Yeah. Um. So the idea of the Exodus. We should have that same cross focus on, and, and again, God's salvation, deliverance of us, and to keep praising God to bring our minds back. They never want to forget the Exodus, lest never forget the cross. That's good. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Good note for any worship leaders that are listening. Focus on the cross yes. with everything. Yeah. Excellent. Well, there is a lot here. Uh, I'm really thankful to journey through this with you. Our hope is that this conversation is not just informative for your mind, but obviously puts you in the best place to read God's word, have it land with new depth, right? Land in your heart. And that's our that's our goal. So Brian, I'm thankful for you and your heart for the word of God. I hope you'll come back and we'll do this again. Yes, yeah, it's always fun. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Cover to Cover podcast, a synchronous audio experience with the Cover to Cover four-year Bible reading schedule. For more information or to sign up, visit covertocoverfc.org. For questions or comments, email us at podcast at wearefaith.org. The Cover to Cover podcast is a production of Faith Church in Dyer, Indiana, a Bible-believing, outreach-oriented, multi-site community of believers committed to changing the world one relationship at a time. More at wearefaith.org. This podcast is produced and edited by Zach Lee. On behalf of everyone at Faith Church, we say thank you for listening to the Cover to Cover podcast. Cover to Cover.